Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Good morning, Harvest KL. My name is Andy, and I'm excited to join you remotely this morning to open up God's Word. Uh, My wife and I are members at Gospel City Church in KL, and we've lived in KL for about four years. And you know, over the years here, we've been blessed by international Christmases at Harvest and by Harvest uh, hosting GCN training sessions. And so I'm thankful to be back with you all this morning. When I heard that your theme for this month was going to be focused on rising above and rising through uh, tough times and trials, I thought it was very timely. With the rise in cases here and with us going back onto a lockdown, I know uh, many of us uh, are back in isolation. I would imagine there's other challenges outside of COVID and those on the national stage that uh, have been happening in people's lives at work and school and with families. So I think this is very timely. Today we're going to be looking at a passage written by a man who was well acquainted with grief and sorrow and lament. You know, for as often as David is remembered as the young man who defeated Goliath or the competent, God-honoring man after God's own heart, there were moments of great anguish and sorrow and trial in David's life. In the Psalms, we're able to learn from David much about how to lament well. We're able to learn how to be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. If you have a Bible or an app on your phone, uh, you can go ahead and uh, turn to Psalm 22. That's where we'll be this morning. And as you're turning to the Old Testament uh, and to what's possibly a challenging text on lament, I want to take a brief moment to encourage us from the words of Romans 15.4. Here Paul says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. So the words that we're reading this morning are historical. They're penned by a real man named David, but they're more than mere history. They were preserved and recorded as God's words to instruct, encourage, give endurance, and ultimately lead us to hope. So now if you have your Bibles open, let's go ahead and read the text of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you are fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from birth, and from my mother's womb 
you have been my God. But be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaw. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform to those who fear him. The afflicted shall even be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. This is the word of the Lord from Psalm 22. Let us pray. Father, you are good. Even in the midst of... MCOs and lockdowns and isolation, God, you are good. Lord, even as David was feeling forsaken, God, you are good. Lord, you have preserved your words from Psalm 22, God, for our instruction, our encouragement, that we may be led to endurance and hope. Father, I pray for your, through, through your spirit that you would, Lord, make the, the text live to us this morning. God, that you would help us see you, Lord, help us be more conformed into your image uh, as we look at your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Psalm 22, it's an absolute treasure chest of biblical wisdom on lament, and there's these profound messianic prophecies. And this morning, we're going to be focusing on three main points. The first point is accepting our brokenness. The second point is understanding God's holiness. And the third point is resting in Christ's deliverance. So the first point, accepting our brokenness. From the first verse in this chapter, it's, it's evident that David is suffering anguish. And God appears to be far off. You know, like we said earlier, David was a man who was well acquainted with suffering and trials. Whether it was fleeing from the sword of Saul 
the anguish of losing a son, killing Uriah and sleeping with Bathsheba, or fleeing from another son at the end of his life who tried to take his kingdom. And we're not sure which event of the life of David these verses in chapter 22 are written about, but regardless of the trial, it's clear that David is coming to the end of himself and doubting and questioning God's nearness in the midst. So as we look at this first point of accepting our brokenness, I want us to focus on how David laments and how we're able to follow his pattern in lamenting during challenges and trying times. He opens by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no rest. Verses one and two are not pretty. There's nothing dressed up or cleaned up about the words that David is crying out to the Lord in the midst of his affliction. And, and if you're anything like me, these verses and the raw emotion that uh, David has before God uh, makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. My natural inclination would want to be to have my act cleaned up and to have everything together before I go to God in prayer. Um, I want to be able to come to God with this, you know, beautifully crafted uh, solution, really, and just go to God for the rubber stamp at the end of it. But that's not what we see in the text here. And before we get uh, too far in this morning, I think uh, there's a few good questions for us to consider and ponder. The first being, what is lament? And the second being, why do we need to lament? One pastor described lament in this way saying lament is different than crying because lament is a form of a prayer. It is more than just an expression of sorrow or venting emotion. Lament talks to God about pain and has a unique purpose, trust. This is a divinely given invitation to pour out our fears, frustrations, and sorrows for the purpose of helping us to renew our confidence in God. So there's a few steps that we're going to look at this morning following our points of the process of lament, but ultimately it's going towards trust and a renewed confidence in God. So that's the what, the question of what is lament. Now let's think about why do we need to lament? Why do I need to pour out my heart in such a way as this, as David demonstrates? And, you know, I think one perfectly valid reason is you know, one-third of the Psalms and many other books, including Lamentations and the Prophets in the Old Testament, are laments. And so I think for that reason alone, it makes sense to lament. And another reason is a part of accepting our brokenness is coming to grips with the fact that, you know, these challenges that we're wrestling through in our lives, they will come out somehow. And if Sometimes if we don't do it honestly and proactively, the way that they come out may not be good. Uh, so I don't know uh, if you've ever baked bread. I haven't, um, but I have a few friends who have, and I've done some research on the process of scoring bread. And scoring bread is very important for the bread baking process. And what you do after you, you know, made the dough and everything is you will, you'll cut a line in normally the top or the sides of the bread and uh, what this does is it allows the bread to naturally break when it goes into the oven. And there's a lot of pressure and the heat that goes into the oven. And if you don't score the bread as the baker preemptively, 
then the bread will crack. It will, you know, lose the uh, shape and become misshapen. And by scoring the bread, the baker can cut the loaf and control where the loaf will break so that it will bake properly. And in a sense, lamenting is like scoring our hearts or souls. You know, the metaphor would break down eventually, but we're, we're revealing, we're scoring our hearts before God, and it can be painful. But we're preemptively doing this so that the cracks don't happen later on. Lament begins by turning and bringing your complaint to God. And the cry and moves towards asking for help and renewing trust in God. I want, to, I want to also clarify the difference between lament and grumbling. Grumbling uh, to God led to you know, many issues in the Bible. If you're familiar with you know, the Exodus and the desert generation, you know, we don't want to be said that we are people that grumbled against God. That was not good for them. When, when we cry out to God, <clears throat> when we cry out to God but fall short of turning to the truth, and fall short of hearing for God's response, we can easily fall into grumbling and anguish and sorrow. Lament stands in the gap between this pretending or performance, which, you know, I said, that's kind of more where I fall, wanting to have my act together before I go to God. Lament stands in the gap between performance and between grumbling. And grumbling is this complaining, this you know, not seeking God's truth. And lament stands in the gap of those two, between performance and between grumbling. We recognize the reality of the problem in lament. We cry out to God in the midst of the problem, and then we turn to him for truth and help us ground the truth. In verses one and two of the text, there is no sense from David that he is communicating anything less than his fullest cries of his heart, the fullest groans of his heart. He is not performing, he is not grumbling. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, I find no rest. The, the informality, so to speak, and the raw reality of David's helpless state continues as we move through his cries in the chapter. Verse four says, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Now David's saying just a few short verses later that he's a worm. He doesn't even count himself to be considered as a man, scorned and despised by mankind. And as the chapter goes on, David continually reveals deep pictures of the reality of the hurt and anguish that is going on in his life. Verse seven says, all who see me mock me. Verse 12, many bulls encompass me. They open wide their mouths at me, like ravening and roaring lions. Verse 13. Verse 14, my heart is like wax and poured out like water. Verse 15, my strength is dried up and you lay me in the dust of death. David is in the midst of great pain and sorrow. And it doesn't take a professional to be able to tell that something is wrong. But the beauty of this is that David is presenting all of these thoughts and pains and struggles directly to the Lord. He turns to God with all these sorrows. and He says, this is me, David the king. David, a servant after God's own heart, feels like he is dried up and about to be laid down in the dust of death. Brothers and sisters, let us take this lesson from David. 
Don't believe the lie that you have to come to God only once you've composed yourself internally or externally. David is mid-anguish, mid-cry during these verses. And in mid-anguish, it makes sense maybe for a person to refer to themselves as a worm or to talk about their heart dripping like wax. And that's the joy and the gift of God honoring lament. We have the privilege of coming to God heart in hand and saying, this is all of me, God. This is where we see the beauty of other scriptures, such as Romans 8, come into play. Paul, another godly brother, an example of one who endured suffering and what he referred to as great thorns. He writes in Romans 8, 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he searches the hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Here Paul testifies to the fact that we don't even have to pray with words, but that even in our cries and our groanings, the Holy Spirit is able to intercede with the, for those cries and groanings on our behalf to God. What good news is that for those of us who are needing to lament? His first point is accepting our brokenness and asking what does it look like to lament in a God-honoring way? Lamenting in a God-honoring way looks like coming to God in the midst of our brokenness and suffering. It's, it's not hiding, but presenting the fullness of yourself before the throne of God. Lament doesn't complain or sulk. Lament doesn't simply paper over the cracks then pretend as if nothing happened. And lament, there's a cry to God and then a turning to him to listen and be reminded of truth. This is how we can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. The second point that we are going to look at this morning is understanding God's holiness. Understanding God's holiness and asking the question, how does the psalmist insert biblical truth into the lament process? If you notice, as we went through the verses uh, of the first point in accepting our brokenness, we were moving and skipping uh, over paragraphs. David, David's cries in accepting brokenness were verses 1 to 2, 6 to 8, and 12 through 18. But intermixed with all of these cries are responses of truth. The text has this profound call and response. The psalmist laments and says that God is far from him and doesn't hear. And then he turns and reminds himself of truth and the character of God. And some of the hymns and great worship songs throughout church history would fit very nicely into David's canon of lament songs. They have this, this cry, this admission of accepting our brokenness, and then a turn to God's truth into accepting God's holiness. Songs such as, He will hold me fast. It says, When I fear my faith will fail, when the tempter would prevail. This is a cry saying, My faith may not be good enough. The tempter might prevail over me. But the response of truth is, He will hold me fast. Or the timeless song, It is well. The writer says, Though Satan should buffet, Though trials should come. Again, this is a cry accepting brokenness that Satan might prevail over him. 
that trials, in fact, for the writer of this, trials had come. He had experienced trials and, and cries, but continues to say, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. There's, there's a cry, and then there's a response of truth. One of my favorite songs right now, Christ is mine forevermore. It communicates deeply the truth of being sorrowful yet always rejoicing. It says, mine are tears in times of sorrow, darkness not yet understood. Through the valley I must travel where I see no earthly good. And if you stop there, that's, that's a sad song. Like, I don't know if I would want that to be my favorite song if it just stops there. But it goes on and says, but mine is peace that flows from heaven and the strength in times of need. I know my pain will not be wasted. Christ completes his work in me. You know, the rich and beautiful truth that we are reminded in times of these. So we begin the lament process by accepting our brokenness. And then, and then we turn and we understand God's holiness. We turn to the truth. So this call and response that we see in the passage and is exemplified in many other Christian worship songs and hymns. You know, lament does not shy away from or pretend that trials, calamity, doubt, darkness, and storm aren't coming. The psalmist and countless others, like we just saw, confirm, yes, these things, these sufferings, these trials, they're an ever-present reality. But God, the true power in Christian God-honoring lament is turning the corner from the cry to the response and grasping truth. Like David like David, I imagine if most of us would find it a challenge to get out of bed most mornings if we would never move from the cry to the response. We read verse 1 and 2 a few times already this morning. We've seen David cry. We've seen David accept his brokenness. But I want you to listen how distinctly different the cry is when it's paired with the response of truth. Verse 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy and thrown on the praise of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. And then we turn the corner, yet you are holy. It's a whole different ballgame, solely based on the outlook and posture of turning to God, looking at his faithfulness, his holiness, his sovereignty, and seeing the trial and the light of those things. And as we go through the text, you'll notice that every time David cries out to God, he responds to his own cry with the truths about God. Like we just saw, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The response, yet you are holy and enthroned in the praise of Israel. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people, responded by, yet you are he who took me from the womb. The internal call and response of crying out to God and responding in truth is a great demonstration of how followers of Christ, we need to continually renew ourselves in the rich balm of the soul, which is the gospel. David, a man after God's own heart, is continually having to remind himself 
of truth in the midst of sorrows. There's a pastor who once said that the gospel is not the diving board into the pool of the Christian life. The gospel is the water that we live in every day. If David saw the truth of God as simply a diving board to begin his relationship, not the thing that would sustain it, then this chapter would be utterly discouraging. But David, again, is a helpful guide and exemplar of the life following after God's own heart, continually renewed by the truth of God, swimming in the pool of the gospel every day of our life. He's never content, never saturated with the truth of God. He realized that he is a broken, leaking vessel, continually needed to be refilled and supplemented with the word of God. Being filled with the Holy Spirit and surrounded with Christ-like community will help brothers and sisters to hear the response of truth and lament when they are facing trials. Isolation can be the enemy of a healthy lamenting process. There are certainly times exemplified by David when in the midst of anguish, we're able to slow our minds and slow our thoughts from the cries of God and remind ourselves of truth. This is one great benefit of scripture memory. Hide in God's word in your heart. As we're going through the, the text of Psalm 22, when David responds to his, his cries with truth, he's quoting from the scripture. He's quoting Leviticus in verse 3 when he says, yet you are holy. In verse 5, it's a reference to judges when he says, to you they cried and were rescued. And in verse 21, when he speaks of God delivering him, he's quoting Numbers. The response of truth that David gives his, to his cries are all clothed in the words of God. He's not creating his own truth to insert into these situations. He's looking towards God's faithfulness, aided by a deep familiarity with God's word. So we too need to memorize God's word and hide it in our hearts for the days when we lament and need to be internally responded with God's truth. As we look at these verses that David quoted, reminding himself of the holiness of God just after accepting his own brokenness. If the lament process is only accepting our brokenness and understanding God's holiness, then I would venture to say that most of us would possibly leave the lament process in more despair than the start. But there is one final step, one final point. So we, we accept our brokenness we, we move, we understand God's holiness. And finally, we come to point three, which is resting in Christ's deliverance. We'll look at the question of what was the psalmist's hope for deliverance and what is ours? Picking back up in verses 19 through 21, David says, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. For the majority of the chapter, David is facing deep, dark anguish. And we don't know how or why now. But in verse 21, we see deliverance. David says, you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. It's very quick. Very matter of fact, uh, based on the depth of woe in the previous 20 verses, 
uh, it doesn't seem to match, but as quickly as the deliverance comes, he then turns and the rest of the chapter is really David singing praises to God. He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. Going down to verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship you. And at this point in the text, everything appears to be wrapping up well. David has had his deliverance from this unknown sorrow, and he's moved on to praise. But, uh, you know, again, if we left off here and the lessons were to cry to God and accept brokenness, respond to God's truth by understanding God's holiness, then something would be missing. The, the two steps of accepting brokenness and understanding God's holiness they, the process of those reveals that you and I are more broken than we could ever imagine. And God is more holy than we could ever imagine, right? Because we see that, you know, as David said, you know, we are, we are worms. We are scorned by mankind and God is holy. He is enthroned on the praise of Israel. He is the one who made David, took him from his womb. The, the gap the chasm from our brokenness to God's holiness, if we only stop at these two points, is great. And in these moments, when, we, when we've come to the lament process, when we've accepted our brokenness, when we've understood and meditated on God's holiness, we then move into resting in Christ's deliverance. And it's here that the prophecies revealed in this text where we find deliverance. First Peter 1 tells us that the prophets who prophesied about things which they didn't fully understand, which were for our, you know, Christians post-resurrection salvation. That, that's what's happening here. There's, there's deliverance for David, and the, the text is fulfilled in, in part through David, but there's also something greater going on here than I think David could even imagine. Right, he like it says in First Peter one, the prophets prophesied about things which they didn't fully understand. And so, as we uh, just ponder the text that we've looked at this morning in Psalm twenty-two, I want to take us to Matthew twenty-seven. Matthew twenty-seven thirty-five says, "And when they crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots." And that's Psalm twenty-two eighteen. They divided his garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Matthew 27, 24 says, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we'll believe him. And that's Psalm 22, 8. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And Matthew 27, 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Directly from Psalm 22:1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus dying upon the cross is our ultimate deliverance. The good news is that the perfectly righteous person was forsaken, so that you and I can be accepted as righteous. 
Christ was estranged and alienated so that you and I can be brought near as children of God. Does this mean that trials and suffering and calamity won't come? No. I mean, if, if David, Paul, and Jesus face trials and sufferings, then we should not expect any different. When they do come, though, as David and the Lord Jesus, we can cry out with cry out to God with genuine anguish, not hiding anything, but fully bearing our hearts, fully accepting our brokenness. We respond to these cries with biblical truth from the word of God that is hidden in our heart. And we can rest in the deliverance of Jesus, looking back to the cross, remembering the freedom that was provided from the bondage of sin and looking forward to the time when Christ will return and make all things new. Lament, lamentation provides the means to be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Lament doesn't pretend. Lament doesn't exaggerate. Lament recognizes the brokenness of this present world. Lament turns to truth in God's word. And lament rests in the deliverance that only Christ can provide. As Christians living life in between the resurrection and the return, we must constantly look back and look forward. We look back at Jesus, who is our salvation, and we look forward to Jesus' return, which is our hope. And as we lament, brothers and sisters, we have the very lament book of David and Christ in the Psalms that we can be united with them. So as we close, I want us to maybe ask one question to personally consider and ponder. And so why, why don't we lament? What is the fear that we have in lamenting? Maybe it's because when we say these things, when we accept our brokenness, they become a reality. Then we have to deal with it. We admit that we are broken and there's no way out. It may lead us to feel unworthy before this holy God. Brothers and sisters at Harvest, let me encourage you to rest in the deliverance of Christ. He was forsaken in your place and in mine. And we are brought near as children of God. Jesus acted as our mediator and our advocate. On the cross, Christ removed God's anger so that we can be reconciled and adopted into his family. And to the measure that we are able to look at Christ and rest in his deliverance. To that measure, we are able to deal with the hard situations and brokenness that we are in because we know that with Christ, we are not alone. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that when we go through seasons of sorrow, when we go through seasons of trial, we know that we are not alone in those. We know that David and Paul and Christ himself suffered great anguish, was despised and rejected in our place. Christ, we thank you for coming, for being forsaken in our place so that we can be brought near as children of God. You were alienated for us to be brought near. God, I hope you uh, ask that you would help us to apply your words, apply these truths, help us to accept brokenness, understand your holiness, and God, ultimately help us rest in the deliverance of Christ. It's in Christ's holy and precious name I pray. Amen.
Thank you, Harvest. Hope that this has been encouraging for you and look forward to seeing you next time.